0: Well, hello there, my friend, and welcome to today's episode of the Seven Figure Millennials Podcast. My name is Brandon Fong, and I want to say, if this is your very first episode, I wanted to tell you that you could be anywhere else in the world right now. You could be watching cat videos on YouTube. You could be listening to the other millions of podcasts, but you chose to be here right now, and for that, I am super grateful. And for people that are returning, same exact thing, super grateful for you as well, and thank you so much for coming back week after week. But whether you are a new friend or an old friend today, you and I get to hang out with Michael Roderick. Michael is the CEO of Small Pond Enterprises, which helps thoughtful givers become thought leaders by making their brands referable, their messaging memorable, and their ideas unforgettable. He is also the host of the podcast Access to Anyone, which shows how you can get to know anyone you want in business and in life using time-tested relationship building principles. Michael's unique methodology comes from his own experience of going going from being a high school English teacher to a Broadway producer in under two years. And as always, there's going to be so much that you're going to learn in this episode, but specifically, I want you to look out for three things. Number one, why Michael believes that you can have anything that you want in life if you ask really good questions and how you can use his dime framework, D-I-M-E, to ask more effective questions to help you get more of what you want. Number two, Michael's AIM framework or AIM framework that you can use to make your messages more referable. And number three, exactly as kind of the bio alluded to, how Michael was able to go from high school English teacher to Broadway producer in under two years by leveraging the power of relationships, which is just such a cool story. And we dive really deep into that. Lastly, I want to give a pre-show listener shout out, which this week goes to Alvin Curran, who left a review saying... Brandon is a modern renaissance man. He thinks fast on his feet and has a genuine heart of concern for people and his networking skills are shining bright. He also has some impressive guests to interview. Can't wait to catch his latest interviews. So thank you, Alvin. I really appreciate that. You are a rock star and thank you so much for being a regular listener and subscriber. And if you're a returning listener and you just listened to me read that review and you haven't left a review yet, (laughs) you can head to sevenfiguremillennials.com slash review to find out exactly how to leave a review. Plus, if you choose to leave an honest review. I have a little thank you gift that I love to give you that will reveal exactly how I get incredible guests like Michael to come on the show. Exactly like Alvin was saying is I have some networking skills that I've been able to leverage to get these incredible people. And if you'll find out in today's interview, Michael actually introduced me to a few other incredible guests that have come on the show. So how can you do that to get more high level connections to grow in your business? So if you want that little thank you gift, all you have to do is go to sevenfiguremillennials.com slash review, and that will have all the details for how to leave a review. And if you choose to leave the review, how you can claim that little bonus gift. So with all that said, I'm super excited for you to listen in on this incredible conversation with my friend, Michael Roderick. If you had to pick between a making a ton of money, B being happy, healthy, and surrounded with people you love, or C making a meaningful impact on the world, which would you choose? The good news is that today we don't have to choose. So the question is, how can entrepreneurs like you and me, who have a vision for our lives and aren't willing to settle for anything less, how can we become financially successful and have a big impact while prioritizing our happiness, health, and relationships? You and I are on a mission to find out, and we have an incredible journey ahead of us. My name is Brandon Fong, and welcome to the 7 Bigger Millennials Podcast. Michael. Welcome to the show. Can't wait to dive in. Super excited to have you here. (laughs) Awesome. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah. So first of all, I just want to publicly thank you in front of everyone because we have some guests that um, I haven't recorded yet that I have already recorded that are you to thank, and so it's a huge testament that you practice what you preach. So super huge thank you for on behalf of myself and the Seven Figure Millennials audience for the kind of indirect intro to AJ Jacobs. I met him at an event that you put together, and the direct intro to Jeffrey Madoff. So I'm really excited for those. Those are going to be awesome.
1: (laughs) Awesome. Yeah, I'm excited to hear both of those. Yeah, for sure.
0: Okay. So let's let's kick things off. So based on my research. I'm, I'm really hoping I got this right, but I so I'm going to take a stab at it. If I'm not 100% accurate, you can correct me. But I would love to start by taking us back to Halloween night in 2010. So we're in New York City in the Lyceum Theater. And it's a big night for you, especially considering what you were doing only a few months before. So would you mind telling us what were you doing that night and kind of what was going through your mind uh, if I got it all correct?
1: (laughs) Yes, yes. That was uh, opening night of uh, Scottsboro Boys, um, which was the first uh, Broadway show that I was an official producer on. Uh, In Broadway, there's a lot of fundraising that happens behind the scenes. And in some cases, like you'll raise a good chunk of money, but you're uh, you won't necessarily be uh, your name won't be in the programs or anything like that. Uh, and that was my first official Broadway credit. So it was uh, it was pretty incredible. Um, it was an amazing, amazing show, uh, just a phenomenal piece of theater. Uh, and you know, I think a lot of what was going through my mind at the time with that particular show was this is a show that is so important and so powerful and I'm so glad that it's that it's having its opportunity to be on the stage
0: yeah, love that. So okay, so people are probably wondering why did you ask that question? What is what is this? And I know they've read, they heard your bio a little bit ahead of time, but I kind of wanted to drop people in the middle of the action because it's like you know being a Broadway producer is no easy feat. I'm sure you know it takes a lot of energy and effort to kind of network your way into those kinds of circles. But just a few months earlier, you were an English teacher. And if I did, if it, according to your LinkedIn, it was June 2010 is when you were an English teacher, and then Halloween night opening, you know October. So in a span of four months, you went from. high school teacher to, to producing a show on Broadway, which is absolutely incredible. And also it was a show that received 12 Tony nominations in 2010. So how do you, I know you've been asked this all the time, but like, four months. That's kind of crazy. So like, what, what did, did you already have some seeds planted while you were still a high school teacher before you did that? Or did all this magic happen in this short time span?
1: Yeah, no, that's a great, that's a great question. I, I would say the, the buildup to all of that was probably about a, a little under two years. Um, so there was a lot of building relationships within that particular industry. And there was a lot of, uh, elements of either raising money for shows or getting to know other producers building lots of different relationships within the industry over time and scottsboro was sort of the culmination of a lot of those relationships and a lot of that time that i had spent getting to know the industry getting sort of understand the industry uh and getting to understand exactly how somebody becomes a broadway producer and all of just the 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 things that kind of go on behind uh behind the scenes so
0: were you, so you were kind of like, what's the official term? Like mid, burning the midnight oil. Like you were, you're an English teacher and you were kind of planting <laughs> the seeds of like making this jump. What was that decision? Yeah. Like when you decided to jump, because obviously you were doing that for a, a decent amount of time in your life. So what was that kind of decision like that you made to actually jump full time into doing something that you love?
1: Yeah. So I was reading Seth Godin's book, Lynchpin on the subway, and there is a section of it that talks about how school was actually built to make us better factory workers. So the reason why, you know, we have these like desks in rows and we're sort of told to do like what we need to do and like sort of put our heads down, it was so that we would go out and become really good factory workers. (laughs) So I I sort of had this moment while I was reading that. And I, I said to myself, I'm really just kind of a factory worker at this point because uh, I would be doing the same thing in essence year after year yes my classes would change right the the kids would change but the 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 thing that I had to work on the thing that I had to do to help them get through these standardized tests and all of these you know different different elements that never changed that never yeah. you know that never shifted and I had this moment where I where I had always recognized that I had a gift for teaching. And I just had this moment where I said, you know what? What if I stepped away and I taught something else? What if I stepped away and I just sort of took this gift and I explored what else I could do with it? And and one of the things that really – helped me raise a lot of the money that I raised was my teaching ability, my ability to go to somebody who had never heard of a Broadway show and break down this process for them, help them understand how it actually works, help them understand the dynamics of it and get them interested in being a part of this particular experience. And
0: so you, you have young kids right now, is that correct?
1: Yes. So, you, so, you have yeah.
0: kids, so did you have this? So your kids weren't in the picture. Or they were in the picture at this time.
1: Kids were not in the picture at this time.
0: Okay. So what was the, what was the conversation with you? Your, were you with your wife at the time, or was that before that as well?
1: Uh, at the time, my wife was. Uh, at the time, my wife was my girlfriend. Um, okay. So yeah.
0: what was what was the conversation with her like? Because I'm I'm in like those are always interesting. Because I'm like there's so many of these uh, there are lots of entrepreneurs that have that moment where they're sitting on the subway and they have the linchpin. Oh my gosh, I need to wake up and do something crazy. And it's just like, usually when, when I have conversations with people, most people just skip over it. Like, yes. And then I dove into Broadway and, <laughs> and magic happened. And so I always like to kind of pull it apart a little bit, because, Yeah, you know, there are people that are having these thoughts right now. Like, what if I jump in and like those conversations that you need to have with important people in your life, or if there's yeah. kids in the picture, those are, those are tough. So what was that conversation like that you had with your girlfriend now, now wife?
1: Yeah. Well, we, we just kind of, we talked through uh, what I wanted to do and sort of what my plan was and what. I thought could you know could could potentially work, and we decided together. We decided mutually that we figured it would. We could make it work. We could figure. We could figure it out. Uh, she was at the time still teaching, uh, so she had a teaching job. She had a teaching job as well. Uh, so you know we figured okay, if I if I sort of step out into this world, I can be a general manager for a lot of projects right like just sort of be the the person who helps manage the shows and and make some money that way right and i had, i was also doing some like smaller like little entrepreneurial things of like teaching some workshops and and things like that so we kind of looked at it and we said okay financially, like we can make this work. Like we can figure, you know, we we can figure this out. And that's really what it came down to. And, you know, Nora, my wife, she, she's always been incredibly supportive of my entrepreneurial journey through all of, you know, the ups and downs and, and those particular experiences. And that was just another, you know, iteration of it where she was basically like, you know what? I I trust you. I trust that you're going to make this you're going to make make a go of this and and we're just we're in it together and let's uh, let's make it happen. Yeah, I love that. I think it's so special that you had that
0: conversation because there are people out there that make the decision without having those kinds of conversations. What the uh-huh. impact are, and and so that was cool that she was so supportive, and I'm grateful to have a partner that that does something similar for myself. So so cool that cool that you had that as well, and we share that in common. So uh, so I'm sure people heard from your bio. It's like okay, we have this high school broadcast producer, and now you you develop these incredible relationships. And I know lots of the foundation of you. Almost become consciously aware that you were good at this was that was like this happened during Broadway. You probably didn't even realize that you were a magician <laughs> at developing these relationships. So, can you kind of maybe bridge the gap between that that point where you became a broadcast producer and then fill us in on how you ended up getting to the connection stuff? And then there's a whole bunch of connection stuff that I want to ask you that I think it'll be a lot of fun.
1: Yeah, sh- sure. So, so the Broadway side of things basically like everybody was, you know, everybody was asking me how I was moving so quickly right? Um, How was it that I knew so many other producers? How was it that I found people who would invest in shows? Like, how was it that I was kind of at the center of everything, right? Uh, And I've always been one of those people where I've really enjoyed looking at sort of how do things work, right? Like breaking them apart and sort of figuring it out. So I had been doing a ton of reading specifically on relationship building and how networks work. And, and I had read um, outliers um, as well as uh, tipping point. And in tipping point, there's this whole description of this idea of like the law of weak ties, right? And the idea that your strongest results come from your weakest connections. And I had this moment where I was like, Oh, well, this is kind of interesting. What if I spent more time sort of cultivating and developing all of these relationships with weak ties, where could it lead? Like what types of opportunities could sort of come out of it? And because of that, I started learning, I started meeting all these different people in industries that weren't in entertainment and seeing all of these other worlds and all these other, you know, all these other ways of kind of operating. And I had this moment where I basically said, okay, if I could walk people through what it's like to be in these networking situations. If I could simulate these experiences and sort of draw from my theater background, I could probably learn a ton about like what works and what doesn't. And that's where the very first workshop I ever put together, uh, I had been writing a blog at the time called One Producer in the City, and it was really focused on producing. But this was kind of my first kind of foray into more of that like entrepreneurial uh, sort of venue. Very first workshop, I called it Solving for X. And basically the idea was that every single person had a variable in terms of what they wanted or what they needed. And it was your job to solve for X. It was your job to figure that out. And that was how you built you know, these relationships. So I started hosting these workshops where I would simulate the networking experiences. So I actually had people act out things like one-on-one meetings, job interviews, and cocktail parties. And I started to notice a lot of patterns in terms of those, those instances where they were acting out these scenarios. And that's where I started building the relationship building frameworks, which then really kind of took off and everybody started asking me about them and wanted me to teach them and present them and all of that stuff.
0: Yeah. So much to unpack there. So you dropped a bunch of Malcolm Gladwell books there. So Tipping Point and Outliers, those are great resources for people to check out. And you mentioned, I just want to make sure we cover things in case some people didn't understand. So you talked a lot about the importance of weak ties. So, and I know you talk a lot about this in the, in the connection space. So would you mind defining for people what that is and then how that's related to being able to develop the relationships that you've developed?
1: Yeah, so basically, there was this study done uh, by a sociologist, I believe, by, by the name of Robert Granovetter, and what he did was he did two studies of students. And the first group, they basically asked their close friends and family for job opportunities, and the second group asked people that they had barely known, maybe that they had met once, people that were sort of, you know, kind of part of their network but kind of not. And the second group outperformed the first in the number of jobs that they got. And the theory was that your strongest results end up coming from your weakest connections because the people who are the weak ties within your circle, the people who don't necessarily know you that well, have networks that you are not a part of. Whereas all of your friends and family, you're usually going to run in a lot of the same circles and see a lot of the same people. Uh, and there's another piece of this that I, that I think is really important to identify, which is that when we have close social relationships with other people, we make assumptions about how far they'll go based on mm. our own past experience with them, right? So if we knew each other from college and I watched you you know, fumble a bunch, I'm actually going to be a little more discerning about investing in your startup because I'm remembering all of our history. Whereas if I don't know you at all, you get to create the context. You get to show me this is this thing that has value. And none of that social relational stuff is actually a part of it. And this is why even when people talk about the idea of a friends and family round, right? It's so, so rare that your friends and family are going to directly help you because they've got to see you again. After they they've done whatever that you know that favor is, right? You you lose, you know, uh, your uncle's, you know, fifty thousand dollars on that, you know, crypto investment or whatnot. You still got to see them at the dinner table.
0: Right? For sure. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. That's great. And I, I I've heard about the power of weak ties. and It reminds me of, I was listening to a Ted radio hour and they were talking about the impact of relationships in the pandemic. And they were talking about how some of lots of our happiness actually has to do with these weak ties as well. It's like the person you, the barista you see at the coffee shop, it's the the person you see at the gym. And like those weak ties have so much strength and we like, don't even realize them. So thank you for clarifying on that, because I think yeah. that opens up a whole new world of possibilities. And just to highlight the, 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 something else that you said that was not related to the weak tie things, but when you were talking about putting together these workshops at the very beginning, it was the, the words you specifically use was like recognizing patterns. And I think it's really cool, especially anybody in their entrepreneurial journey is like, you have to become consciously aware. First, you're like not consciously aware of the things that you're doing, but like, as soon as you can start to recognize those patterns and realize what your unique skill sets are and then create the, you know, frameworks within those patterns, that's really the value you can add. So I love that you built that from a need and identifying those patterns. That's awesome. Thanks. Yeah. Okay. So let's dive into. I know you have a ton of frameworks that are so yeah. juicy and so great. So <laughs> so I was I was trying to think. I'm like, okay, where which framework should we start with? Which what's the gateway framework for Michael's stuff? And so I thought a good a good start would be your uh, a dime framework. So I'll kind of set ah. this up a little bit for people. So um, I'm going to combine two different sources that I kind of saw. So one of them was a Forbes article where you were quoted and you said, "All the keys, to the doors you need opened in your life are in other people's pockets. Whether you want a job, funding, an introduction, find the perfect car." or score hard to get res- get res- restaurant reservations. It all requires asking questions. And then you have another thing that you create, which I highly recommend everybody go check out. It's your heroes handbook, uh, hang with your Heroes handbook, which you can find at Michael's site on uh, smallpondenterprises.com, I think if I got that correct. So go check that out. But he talks about when you are about to ask for anything, whether it be an introduction, some advice, or just to have a meeting with anyone you admire, there are four mindsets around asking and each one supports you in a different way. So I thought this, like I said, would be a good gateway to kind of open the door to these frameworks. So would you mind kind of sharing and walking us through the dime, DIME framework?
1: So basically the way that we're often taught how to ask is direct asking right? So anytime you've ever been, you know, given the phrase, like, you know, if you don't ask, you don't get, um, just ask for it. It's, it's given in this idea of being direct. Like you got to just be like right up in people's face and let them know what it is that you want. And all of these, you know, all of these concepts that I think have been just out there, uh, for a really, really long time. So the thing that we don't often realize is that if we're asking somebody directly, we're engaging the primitive part of the brain. So we actually engage the fight or flight moment in the brain when we ask somebody directly for something, especially if we don't know them, right? Especially if I, if I just get to know you, basically our primitive brains are in control. You're deciding in our interaction, am I friend or foe? And if I ask you for something, especially without understanding you or getting to know you or anything like that, your primitive brain is basically saying he's trying to steal my food. That's what's happening. So when that happens, there's very little chance that that interaction is going to go well. Like a lot of the time people, when they're asked directly for something, they may not even realize it because it's all happening subconsciously, but they, they're going to feel awkward. They're going to feel weird. They're going to feel like this isn't a good, you know, this isn't a good interaction. So problem is everybody teaches that, right? And everything that you read from a media standpoint, you know, gives that idea that this person just pitched to this person in an elevator. Right. This person just, you know, said, you know, to that investor, like, you know, I want to do, you know, I want to be in your company or whatever it is. Right. And it doesn't it doesn't make the
0: news if they had this nice flowery long term relationship building approach. It's the the stuff that the media likes is, like you said, the elevator that they closed the guy and they they made a billion dollar business out of a
1: 30 second interaction.
0: Exactly. (laughs) I totally get it.
1: Exactly. And that's where all the drama works. Right. Like like drama is all about the hockey stick. Right. It's not about the stepladder right? <laughs> it's not about all the stuff that's behind the, you know, behind the scenes. So, so the thing is, because we've all been taught how to ask only directly, we do it and we know that it's wrong. Like we know that it's awkward. We know that it's weird, but we try to sort of force ourselves through it. And people know, people can see us feeling awkward. People can, you know, are, are turned off by it, right? So the thing that you want to think about is what I like to refer to as indirect asking. And that's the I and dime, right? And the idea of indirect asking is when you take the time to make somebody a thought partner in the interaction. So what you do is you say, this is the thing I'm struggling with. This is the thing that I am trying to solve. And you say to the other person, do you have any ideas? And that phrase is really, really useful because very few people will ever tell you, no, I don't have any ideas, right? Right most people are going to be like, yeah, I have ideas. I have things that I can contribute to that conversation. And the thing about it is that the brain can't stay in fight or flight when asked a question like that. It has to go up to that level of reasoning. So I often like to say that you limit the things you get in life when you limit other people's creativity. So if you create this dynamic of an indirect ask where you basically say, you know, this is the thing I'm struggling with. Do you have any ideas? Do you have any thoughts as to what I could do here? Or if you're asking for an introduction saying, do you think this is the best person to talk to about this? Or do you think this is the best person to be connected to? You put them in that creative state and they're far more likely to help you. And that's how I raised most of the money that I raised. I never said, hey, do you want to invest? I said, you're a very savvy investor. You've done this before. I would love to hear what you think of this property. I would love to hear what you think the chances are, what you think the opportunity is. And when I would do that, they would either say, yes, I want to be involved. Or they'd say, oh, I know somebody else who might want to be involved. And you know, they they the guards were down, right? So it ended up being a much much easier uh, type type of scenario.
0: Yeah, and I just I just want to add on top of this, like how this what Michael is sharing right now, this tip right here, this has absolutely changed my life. Like I had a story when I was in high school. I qualified to compete at this international competition and I couldn't afford it. So I was trying to raise money. So a similar context to what Michael's teaching this for, but like, I thought I would just go and ask local businesses if they would be willing to sponsor my trip and all that stuff. But my mentor taught me this phrase that is exactly what Michael's saying. It's a little bit teaching a little bit differently, but she told me, if you ask for money, you get advice. If you ask for advice, you get money. I'm sure some people have heard that, but like yeah. what she taught me to do instead is like ask for feedback. She gave introductions to me and I had to ask for feedback on my business plan. And like exactly what Michael said is turning somebody into a thought partner, allowing them to contribute. And I, I kind of call this the IKEA effect a little bit is because- you know, when people value Ikea furniture more because they had to assemble it a little bit, yep. right? Or like or like the kids <laughs> that have uh, Build-A-Bear. Like, why do they charge a bajillion dollars for a stuffed bear? It's because they got to pump it. They got to put the little heart in it. They got to invest in it. So when you allow people to co-create or like you said, be a thought partner, it really strengthens the, the relationship and um, it leads to a much better outcomes. So I just wanted to highlight that because it's yeah. so, so valuable.
1: Yeah, no, it's so, so important. So the thing is, You know, you do the indirect, um, but there's also what I call the mutually beneficial. And in a mutually beneficial ask, what you're doing is you're actually taking the time to understand how both parties will benefit. And most of the time, people do not take the time to really break down how both parties will benefit, even if they're coming with some kind of transactional type of dynamic. They only take the time to understand how they'll benefit. Right. So in a mutually beneficial ask, what you do is you paint the picture for the person of how this is going to benefit both parties. So the example that I often use is with sponsorship. So let's say you are doing a sponsorship uh, for a conference that you're running and you let's say the sponsorship is a five thousand dollar sponsorship. You go to an accounting firm. And you've already met that accounting firm in the past you know kind of what their target client is you know that your conference is attracting that target client you know that that target client's a good fit so you go to them and you say listen uh, we've talked before about your target client and you know in the past you've told me that if you close one of those clients it can be anywhere between five thousand to ten thousand up front and some of these people it could be a lifetime value of about hundred thousand dollars. So we're hosting an event, we're hosting a conference that's, that's basically going to have close to 100 people who fit into that particular category. And right now we're putting together a sponsorship opportunity. And what we're going to be doing is we're going to be putting you on stage in front of that audience. We're going to give you the mailing list afterwards. We'll make sure that it's opt-in so that you're only reaching out to people that you already uh, that have already said they're open to hearing from you. Uh, and you'll get to send people from your from your team, basically to the conference for free to sit in on other sessions and all those different types of things. Now, the sponsorship deal is about $5,000. I have painted the whole picture for you. So at this point you're saying to yourself, okay, if I spend $5,000 on this sponsorship and one of my team, not even me, but one of my team closes somebody I've already made my money back.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Right. Oh my gosh, everybody needs to go and hit hit the rewind button like a few times. Go like re-listen to that over and over and over again because that was so, so good. And just a, a, sm- a finer detail that you added in there that I think is so good is thinking about the lifetime value of a customer. And if you can articulate that to them, they're uh, like, they, sometimes people forget, or most people don't even know the lifetime value of a customer. So that's a problem in and of itself. But, <laughs> but if yeah. you can paint that you, he so clearly painted the value in the picture of it. So that, that was just very beautifully done. So I highly encourage everybody to <laughs> go and <laughs> go and go and transcribe that and figure out how you could use that yourself. So that's the mutually beneficial. So we have so far, this is dime, right? So we have the direct, yep. indirect, mutually beneficial. So what's the last E for
1: uh, dime? So the last, uh, the last one is the extraordinary ask. And the extraordinary ask is the ask that you think is impossible. And very, very often what tends to happen is we have either identified people that we think are unreachable, opportunities that we think uh, we're not good enough for or that we don't qualify for, uh, or conversations that we think are going to just kind of go nowhere so we never actually do it, right? And every single time that we just say, well, that person would never get back to me or that person would never be interested in what I have to offer, or whatever it is, we join the long line of all of the other people who have said the exact same thing, mm-hmm. right? So in an extraordinary ask, you sit down and you say, what is something that seems impossible? What is something that seems from an outreach standpoint, there's no way they would probably get back to me. And then you do it. <laughs> and you do it on a regular basis right you do it on a regular basis and here's the thing people who are in high powered positions people who are influential they are always asked directly they're always asked directly they're always people reach out to them and they're like will you invest in my you'll invest in my company will you do this for me can I be on your podcast whatever it is they will always be asked directly So if you're the person who actually has an indirect ask where you go to that person and you invite them to be a thought partner in the conversation or a mutually beneficial ask where you've figured out what would be helpful to them in addition to what would be helpful to you, then you are going to stand out from most of the people that are reaching out to this individual. Because nine times out of 10, every day, they're just being bombarded with these direct asks, with these people who are hoping that they're going to save them, that they're going to fix their problems, that they're going to do everything for them. So if you're the person who's like, you know what, I really respect and admire you know, the, the work that you do. Here's this research that I've done on you. Here's sort of what I understand. And I'm curious about this thing. I'm curious about this one thing. And that's the other thing. Like, If you just ask a simple, simple question, you engage the most important power in the world, and that is curiosity. If you ask a question that people have trouble answering, or they're like, I'm not really sure, they will almost always respond to you because it bothers us. To not know the answer to a question. So I've, I've, I've said this before on, uh, in, in other instances, right? Everybody reaches out to, will reach out to James Cameron about Titanic, right? Or Avatar or, you know, any number of the other blockbusters. How many people ever ask him a question about Piranha? I don't even know what that is. <laughs> so it's there you the, go. <laughs> it's, it, it, was his, it was his first movie. It was a horror movie about Piranhas. <laughs> <Like, laughs> there we go. <laughs> so this is the thing, right? Like there, there's so, so many instances in which everybody kind of goes for whatever the big thing is that that person's working on and you know wants to ask them questions about it or wants to, but like, it's the people who take the time to go just slightly deeper. Who get the responses? Because if you ask an interesting enough question, it doesn't matter what level the person is that you're talking to; they will want to answer you. Mm. They will. They. 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 It's very, very hard for us to hear a question that and not want to respond and not want to say like, "I know the answer." Here's the. You know. Here's the answer. And and ultimately, that's the thing. It's like most of the time you know, when we do these outreaches, I think that what happens is people kind of give the whole story. And if you give the whole story, nobody's ever going to respond to you because they, mm-hmm. they can say yes or no, almost immediately. You want to write every email that you write, every outreach that you write, every conversation that you're you know developing, you want to write it all like it's breaking bad. You want to finish on this like curiosity note where it's like, I need to talk to you. I absolutely need to talk to you. I need to follow up with you. I need to stay in touch with you because you just put this thing in my brain. (laughs) And now I'm just thinking about you all the time. And I just like, ah, God, this is, you know, I I need to stay in touch. And and that's the thing. We don't spend enough time uh, focusing on that. So if people are doing the extraordinary ask, one of the best things that you can do is ask a really, really good question. Take the time to think about it really, really good Question. You do that, you'd be amazed at how many people want to talk to you.
0: Okay. So, the, I, so, so valuable. So, there's one clarification, then I have a few um, follow ups to this. So, we yeah. have direct, indirect, mutually beneficial, extraordinary. The, the thing that distinguishes the extraordinary ask is that it is essentially a combination of indirect and mutually beneficial, targeted towards a seemingly quote unquote, impossible opportunity. Is that the main yep. distinction and how we can understand? Okay, so exactly. that's that's good to know. So now I'm going to play devil's advocate for a second because yeah. I like somebody that is going through their email, they got a million things to process. And there's some things that are like, you know, the emails that are all sitting in our inbox that we haven't answered, they're the complicated questions to ask. So this yeah. kind of almost seems like, You know, we've been trained, or at least I've even taught this in the past. I teach this a lot is like making it simple for people to respond. So, where do you draw the line between making it easy to respond to a message? Because there's the no no of asking like somebody to give a novella and solve all your problems, right? And there's like the, 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 like you said, making it able for them to engage and be really curious. So, like, how do you strike that balance between making it easy for them to respond while simultaneously allowing them to really evoke that curiosity?
1: Yeah. You have to spend time finding the line between compelling and confusing Mm. ultimately. Like that's really what it, what it is. And the thing is, you're not going to always hit it. And, And I think that's the other really, really important thing is, is that when you reach out to people and you send them a message, you do whatever it is, you are always doing market research. You are basically always trying to get a sense of what works and what doesn't. This is why it's so important to do it on a consistent basis, right? Because if you do it on a consistent basis, you can then look at the patterns in those responses, right? And after a while, you're like, oh, I can develop a framework around how I should, you know, reach out to these people or words that I can use or things that I say that really kind of click or really kind of, you know, or, or really kind of work. Right. So I think it's one of those things where, rather than, and I think this is the thing that we fall into. We fall into this trap a lot of the time of believing that there is a formula, of believing that, you know, if I do it exactly this way, or if I say it exactly this way, if I use these exact words, then it's always going to work. Hmm. But if we follow someone else's formula, we are just a bootleg version of the person who created the formula. Sure. Right. People are not seeing uh, they're seeing somebody who is parroting somebody else's model. Right. But if we operate from a framework, if we think about. Sort of how am I do, approaching this? And then we bring ourselves to it. We bring our personalities to it. We bring the way that we do things to it. Now we can experiment. We can find our own thing. We can find our own mm-hmm. what, our own way of doing this. So if somebody's trying to think about this aspect of how do I do this extraordinary, you know, outreach, and how do I create that level of curiosity? Well, they know that that's what they have to do, you know, or they know that's what they want to do right? Because we don't even have to say you have to do it, right? Because, you know, only a Sith deals in absolutes, right? <laughs> I'm not telling you, you know, you got to do it. you know. But but the thing is, if you decide that that's what you want to do, when you want to do that particular type of outreach, then it's up to you to start to bring your own ideas to it and experiment and see, yeah. oh, well, if I write it this way, I've gotten a response before. Oh, I wrote it this way and I didn't get a response. You know, what does this tell me? What can I learn? and i think that's the most important thing like if you want to really really just knock things out of the park when it comes to any project that you're doing any anything that you're working on ask yourself what can i learn after every interaction hmm. you will You will completely change the way that you see the world. Too many people go through their lives without ever reflecting on anything. And in entrepreneurship, especially what's really fascinating is we spend so much time on the planning. We spend so much time on the executing and there are books of thousands on the planning and the executing. But when it comes to reflection, nine times out of 10, we got a journal. Right. Or somebody says, like, write, you know, write this stuff down. And I, I just like 100 percent think that the most important thing that you can do is reflect on your experiences. Look at what you're doing and always ask, what can I learn?
0: Yeah, love that. Wise words from Jedi Master Roderick. I know you're, <laughs> I know you're a Star Wars fan because you, you. I think your your production company was R two D two Productions, if I remember correctly. <laughs> yeah. We, we had a Sith reference, so we can reference you as Jedi Master Roderick from now on. <laughs> I love, I love that. I, I think that's so important too. And I I do this as a daily exercise, and I I would say I, I habitually do it on a you know a moment to moment basis. But like I think that is so powerful what you said of asking yourself every single day or after every single ad- interaction like, like what can you improve? What went well? What didn't go well? And how can you avoid mistakes or uh, double down on what worked moving forward? Um, and I love the fact that you, you're right. It's not uh, a um, like a there's no real answer. Like that that's the frustrating part to it is that like this requires experimentation and to get to the level of access that you have with people, Um, it's been years of you testing and tweaking all these different things. So love that. So uh, a segue I kind of want to make is like now that people understand, okay, now we have these four different ways to ask. We have direct, indirect, uh, mutually beneficial and uh, extraordinary. So now we understand how to ask, but there is a balance between knowing how to ask for things and also knowing how to give for things as well. And so you have another framework uh, that is called GATE. And so I would I would love for you maybe to uh, talk a little bit about the GATE framework and also figure out how we can also ba- find that line between asking for things and also contributing for things.
1: Sure. So GATE is all about this, this aspect of creating more balance, right? Um, because basically people either fall into a category where they are in asking anxiety or they're in asking, uh, or they're in like network repair, right? Um, So either you're so afraid to ask, you're so concerned to ask that your network has no idea what you need. They have no idea, you know, how they can help you. uh, And you're kind of quietly being miserable because nobody understands that you have needs because you've been giving all the time. So you've educated everybody to believe that you have no needs, right? Or You're on the opposite side of the spectrum, and you've been asking people all the time and getting, (laughs) you know, and, and, you know, being up in everybody's face all the time. And now they're basically like, I don't want to take your call because I feel like you're just always going to ask me for something. Right. So the idea of gate is to actually take the time to create more of a flow in all of this. So the idea is that every day you open and close the gate. So every day you give without expectation of return and that's a really important piece of this right so the challenge that happens because most networking education most things that are out there revolve around worshiping reciprocity right so most of the stuff that's out there is like if i do these things for you then somehow you're going to do these things for me in the future or the universe is going to reward me or any number of you know things you know will will sort of happen within that right but the fact of the matter is the universe is on its own timeline, right? And people have what I like to refer to as reciprocity uh, impulses as well as reciprocity timelines. So there are some people who you give to them. They want to give right, back right away because they just like, they can't even handle the fact that they've been given something. They're, they're, and then indebted. they're <laughs> Exactly. And then there are some people who you give to them and they say, thanks. And they go away. Right. Uh, and they don't have that like strong reciprocity impulse. They're not like, oh, my God, I need to give you, you know, back something as a result of you know, this particular thing. But then there's also reciprocity timelines where there are people who they are vetting you and they're basically saying like, I'm not going to give back. I'm not going to do anything until I know that you're going to do whatever it is that you say you're going to do and and you're trustworthy and like all of those different types of things. So the thing is, you know, we have that, you know, we, we, we have that aspect. So, uh, you have to give without expectation of return and basically just kind of let it go. Right. Like just think of this in the context of like, I am just helping folks, supporting people and building credibility. So like, once you let that go, the other thing is like psychologically you're in such a better place because you're never worrying about like, what's going to come back. Where is it going to come back? How's it going to work, et cetera. And the reason why you're never worrying is because every day you're going to ask for something that you actually need.
0: Mm.
1: Right. Step two. Yep. So it's like, if you're always like, if every day you say, did I ask for what I actually need? And you do it. You're never going to be in that like imbalance kind of place with it because most of us like hoard that, that ask, right? Like most of us like wait and we're like, okay, I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait to make this big ask. I'm going to wait to make this big ask. Right. And, and the fact of the matter is if you wait forever to make that big ask and the big ass doesn't work, you're done.
0: <laughs> the big you're ask. You're <laughs> in a lot of trouble.
1: Right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so, so the thing is you've got to take the time to just communicate what it is that you need, communicate yep. what it is that you want, what it is you could use help with. The T is for thank. And most of us, never, never take the time to say thank you in a meaningful way. And it's something that a lot of us think about. It's something that we hope that we'll be able to do. It's something that, you know, but most of the time it gets sort of swept under the rug or forgotten about. And either somebody doesn't get thanked or they get thanked, you know, really poorly. Mm -hmm. Right. And the thing is if every day you take the time to say, okay, who is somebody in my circle who I would like to tell them this is what you did, this is what it meant, and I want to say thank you. You will completely change your relationship with that person because they may never have been thanked, or they may have only been thanked once or twice. Like they don't mm-hmm. get that kind of gratitude very often, right? Uh, or that thought, you know, of that. And the last uh, piece is experiment.
0: Before you go on to experiment, I just want to highlight how important that was on the thank component, because I think that the key word here is specificity in in a genuine thank you. And I always do this whenever I'm introduced to someone or I'm like when I'm reaching out to someone, I always take the time to look at their LinkedIn profile or their website and say, you know, loved this specific component. Like, thank you so much for sharing this. This story seemed really impactful. Thank you for sharing, you know, some, something along those lines where it's like, they know that you took the time. Um, and I think that just it really, really guys, it does not take that much more time. Like it takes two minutes to really take a, a level of specificity to really thank, give a genuine thank you. And when you do that, you really stand out. And I think it's more than just you can do that, That you can integrate that specificity and other components of the relationship too. It's not only for thanking, but um, that's really important. So I just wanted to highlight that.
1: Yeah, no, I, I, I 100% agree. I think it it is so important to be specific uh, about what was actually helpful to you because the other big piece of it is if you articulate what was helpful, now you have given somebody an education about what is actually helpful, mm-hmm. right? So now they're like, oh, I should probably do more of that. Yeah, because they said (laughs)
0: this. This creates this creates a loop, and it goes back to what we're talking about: a creating a thought partner with someone. Because if you're thanking, you are reinforcing and expressing gratitude for the investment that they've given in you. And the more that you can create more of these loops, that's kind of my theory. Is the more of these like not necessarily reciprocity loops. I guess I'm just making up language right now. But the more the more you can ask for feedback or advice, and then implement that, and then express. How grateful you are for the impact! Like it's a, it's a drug. Like if, if if somebody comes up to me and asks for advice, I give them advice, and they come back to me and say, "Thank you so much. This is how it impacts my life. I really appreciate that." Like you don't you don't get enough of that. So like yeah. if you can be that that person that does that in a very good way, that's helped me tremendously in my career. And so the don't don't lose the the simplicity of that advice.
1: Yeah, no, I hundred percent agree. Um, so then the last piece is experiment and all too often what happens is we get into our routines. We get into the sort of the way that we do things, the way that we've always done them. And we fall back on whatever that particular scenario is. So if every day you just took a moment to say, what is an experiment that I could do? What is something I could test? What is something I could try that might be a little different, a little bit, uh, you know, uh, change things up a little bit. You'll learn a ton about what works, what doesn't, you'll meet new people. There's all sorts of things that can happen, you know, as a result of that. So the idea is that every day you open and close the gate. So you do all those things. And then going back to the reflection piece, you ask yourself, well, what happened, you know, with those things, how did it go? So you can look at what did that give look like and how did you feel? And what was that interaction? Like you can look at, what was that ask? Like, what was that thank? Like, how did that experiment go? And again, you'll end up, if you do it on a regular basis, you end up with a bunch of data. Data can be tracked, right? Uh, And you'll start to see patterns. And once you start to see patterns, you can start to develop more frameworks for the things that you need to do and the things you need to accomplish in your life.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So just so someone could do this really concrete. This is the exercise I do every single day is I, I'm probably a little bit on the crazy spectrum with this, but I journal what happened on the day. And then at the end of every day, I ask wins gratitude or uh, what was my front row moment that came from another guest on the a guest on the show, John Broman. Like what was your front row moment? I can listen to that episode if you want to listen to that, but like, so something I'm grateful for that was really an incredible moment. What was effective and what was better, what was ineffective and what could be done better. So like, that's something that you can do if you're looking at journaling or integrating this kind of practice of, of just, being more experimental. I think the life, life just needs to be more of an experiment. If you take things less seriously, like, like Michael, it seems has been, has done just like, you know, Hey, like this didn't work. Like, let me, let me just keep having fun and and optimizing. So that's a blast. Um, so thank you. So now, now we have dime we have aim you, you, and you got like, you, you drop frameworks all the time. So he's <laughs> just got a bajillion of these. So we could, we could spend the next three hours walking through all of, all of Michael's incredible framework. So I guess I'm going to te- take a temporary break from a yeah. uh, framework. Cause there's another one I want to ask a little bit about, but sure. when it comes to relationship management um, there, there are, there are times when you get these introductions and like, you know, some like there, we could talk. I'm sure all the time about double opted introductions. I hate non double opted introductions, but that yeah. that's a separate conversation. But let's <laughs> say you you get these opportunities and um you need to say no to them, or like you have these things show up. So like, how do you go about managing those opportunities where something may have been introduced to you, where you you need to kind of maintain the relationship, but it's not the best for you?
1: Sure. Yeah. So I um I have a framework. <laughs> I, I, yeah.
0: Is the, is the OCG one?
1: Yes. This is OCG. Nice. Okay. Yeah. Go, do it. <laughs> um, so, so yeah. So the OCG framework. So basically if something comes my way uh, and I can take full advantage of it and it actually is a fit for what I do or where I feel I can best serve, then it is a true opportunity and I'll do whatever that thing is, or I will do my best to, you know, get involved in whatever that thing is that comes to me. But if that thing is not exactly the best fit is not exactly uh, really fits into what I'm able to do well. uh, It's actually not an opportunity. It's just a coincidence that they came to me, right? It's just a coincidence that they found me and that they decided that I was the person to speak or do that summit or whatever the scenario is. So I like to take that coincidence and I like to turn it into a gift. So I ask myself who else within my circle would this be a legitimate opportunity for? And then I go and I send that to them. So a lot of the time people will reach out and they want me to speak on something or they want me to do something. And it doesn't really jive with me or it's not really, you know, it's not really part of what my focus is. And what I'll say is, you know, I really appreciate this. I don't think I'm going to be the best person for this to be perfectly honest. Like I really think that you in essence deserve better. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So I have somebody else that I would love to introduce you to that this, they've studied this, their life that, you know, they really understand this and I think they'll just knock it out of the park for you. Uh, And I would rather, pass them off, uh, you know, pass them off to you or connect you with them, uh, then, then take this, take this myself. And And I will say, sometimes you will have things where it's like, they really are a legitimate opportunity, but you've already made other decisions, right? Like you've already decided to commit to something and somebody comes to you and says, I need to speak, you know, I want you to speak or I want you to do this. And you've already committed to another speaking engagement or another thing. And sometimes you have to turn down that other, you know, thing because your commitment and honoring your commitments is, I, I think, the the most important thing. Uh, and in those instances, I will I will say, you know, I really appreciate you reaching out. Um, unfortunately, I have committed to some, I have committed to something else, and I want to make sure that I honor that commitment. And I know that it would be doing a disservice to you if I said that maybe I could make it work or maybe I could squeeze it in or any of those different types of things, because I want to be there and I want to be able to give it my full attention. Uh, So because I can't be there, I have other thoughts as to who might be a good person to come in my place or somebody else who I think would be good to talk to. Uh, Let me know if that's something you're interested in. Uh, We can talk, we can brainstorm around it. But again, I really appreciate you taking the time to reach out to me about this.
0: So let's just say we're not Jedi master Roderick level yet. And we don't have a bajillion people that we can pass these opportunities that are. So like how, let's say, you know, I don't have somebody that comes into mind. So like, do you, how do you handle that? I'm sure it's somewhat similar, but like just a little bit of different wording.
1: Yeah. So, so a lot of time if it's, you don't have anybody who, you know, you don't have anybody who fits, then it's a conversation about, well, what is the, you know, what is the core focus? Is there something else I could, is there something else I could do? Is there something else Mm. I could, I I could contribute here? Um, So for some people it's, you know, uh, would it be helpful if I recorded something for you? You know, would it be helpful if uh, we did this at another, if we did this at another time, you know, uh, you ask them what would be helpful rather than just saying, I'm sorry, I can't do it. I think that's the biggest thing is that most of the time we, we sort of just look at this as like, I'm sorry, I can't do it, good luck. As opposed to saying, I'm sorry that I can't do it. What would be helpful to you at this point? Mm. You know, yeah. Yeah, and I want to add another layer
0: on top of this. So we have opportunity coincidence and then uh, you can turn those into gifts for people if it doesn't quite fit for you. But uh, I want to add another layer on top of this too because I think it's really important to understand the, the fine line between opportunity and a coincidence, and that requires some self reflection on your end like, what is your superpower? What is within your team's capabilities? What's within your company's capabilities? Um, and, and you know, what is something that's really a coincidence or what's an opportunity? I interviewed uh Waldo Waldman, who is a, a decorated air fighter pilot, and he talks about this example of beware of distractions disguised as opportunities. And he tells this crazy story about like you know, this guy that was on a mission and like they, they sent some decoys and this younger pilot was trying to go after the decoys, but if they had went off over to this other opportunity, they would have gotten shot down. So like, beware of these, these fighter things that are flying in your way that sound look shiny. They look like an opportunity, but really it can shoot yourself in the foot. So that's, I think just another thing to add on top of that, there's a layer on top of it is, is having that understanding of your skills, your strengths, your abilities, your team skills, their abilities, and what should really be, uh, clearly defined opportunity and what is just a coincidence.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I'll, and I'll also just say that, you know, one of the, one of the things I always ask myself when somebody reaches out to me about something is this aspect of, am I the best fit for this? Mm. You know, based on my experience, based on what I do, am I the best fit for this? And that, and that applies to, in terms of service, you know, if somebody's reaching out to do coaching or consulting or any kind of work, right? Like, am I the best fit? you know and if i'm not then i want to send them to whoever is the best fit uh, because it's not going to be useful for me to try and sort of you know learn a bunch of new skills you know try to sort of put something together to fit into a particular you know a particular box and it's not going to be the best for them because they're not getting they're they're not getting the best of what i have to offer
0: Yeah. I love that. So uh, this may may not be the perfect transition, but also wondering too, I know another thing you talk about, I I think I love this analogy that you came up with in another episode. I listened to, I don't remember where I was listening to you on, but you were talking about, um, you know, the, the dilemma of people wanting to be helpful, but saying, how can I help you? Uh, and that sometimes you, you, kind of had an analogy. So I don't, I want to ruin the punchline about like, uh, the conversation you have about dinner sometimes. So would you maybe, maybe tell a little bit about, uh, like that, the, the, the relation between those two things and how we can avoid um you know asking things like that that may lead to uh not the best results
1: yeah so um i'm trying to think of which metaphor <laughs> no I'm okay I'll, I'll help it. you out i'll okay. help
0: you out so 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 the the thing i listened to is basically you're talking about like you know when you ask your your significant other like oh where should we go for dinner and then it's just this uh, kind of like argument all over the place. Like, Oh, I don't want tie, I do want tie. that if you ask, like, uh, how can I help you? It kind of leads to like that kind of a, uh, I don't know, uh, yeah. circumstance where the, you don't even know how to handle the situation because it could just go all over the place.
1: <laughs> yes. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So yeah, it's the, how, you know, what do you want to have for dinner conversation? Right. So like, if you say, how can I help you to somebody, you're putting all the weight on them, right? Like you're basically saying to, you know, you're basically saying to them, you come up with and figure out what I can do for you. Um, and we don't even know each other yet, right? That's the other, you know, that's the other big thing. It's like, if I, if I open a conversation with how can I help you, then I'm instantly assuming that I can help you. I'm, I'm placing you lower than me in terms of status, just by the, just by the way that it's phrased and, you know, by the way that, you know, it works. But even more importantly, I'm telling you that I don't exactly value my network, Because if I'm just willing to make a bunch of intros and, you know, do, and, and not actually understand like who you are and what you're, what you're about, that means if I'm not vetting you, it means I'm not vetting anybody else. Mm. Right. Uh, So there's always going to be sort of that question that, that comes, you know, that comes up. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of problems with the idea of starting a conversation with how can I help you? Uh, And I think that if you have a conversation with somebody And you take the time to ask good questions and you take the time to really get to know them. You almost never need to ask that question. Like most of the time you're able to figure out based on what they're saying, what would be helpful to them or what would be thoughtful to them, you know, and, and every once in a while you are going to have those instances where you're like, I'm not really sure what they could use support with or sort of where, and you can ask them that, but you ask them towards the end of the conversation rather than opening the conversation with how can i help you and putting them in that awkward position of needing to come up with something or feeling like it's this transactional you know ty- mm-hmm. type of thing it really puts people off i find
0: yeah. So it's more of a, it's, it's a timing thing. Not that it's a bad thing to ask, like asking how to be helpful. Well, I mean, I guess, yeah, it t- it's a timing and a situational thing. So, cause it's like, if, if I were having this conversation with Michael, you know, towards the end, I might be able to say, Hey, Michael, so are you interested in getting more guests for your podcast? Are you interested in, you know, putting together more of these events that you've put together that I know you put together like that. And then, and then maybe saying, you know, is that what you're looking for? Are you looking for help for something else? Is that kind of how you would structure that, exactly. that or think about that?
1: Yeah, exactly. You'd frame it in the context of like, what is their goal? Like, what are they trying to accomplish? Right. And you would basically see you, you would have a theory about that. Right. So you'd say, okay, so based on our conversation, it looks like the core focus that you have is finding really high profile guests for your show. Right. And you'd either say to me, yes or no. Right. Uh, And if you say yes, I'd say, okay, so where do you feel you could use the most support there? Mm. Right. And, you know, and in some cases, a lot of the time uh, with people, what I'll do is I'll give them some examples so that they don't feel awkward trying to figure out how to answer the question. Right. So, like, let's just say I said that, you know, I I said that to you. And I said, where, you know, where could you use some support, you know, with, um, you know, with finding high profile guests? And rather than just leaving it there, I might say, you know, so for example, some people, uh, some people, I just make some direct intros to uh, some people actually want to take a look back through my old episodes and see like which guests I've had and see if they would be a good fit, you know? So I kind of walk you through some alternatives, like some options, and now you feel much more comfortable because I'm not kind of just leaving you in no man's land, of, like, well, what is it like, how do you need this mm. help? Like, what is it, you know, what does it look like? So and, and you know, this this taps into probably a I would say a really, really important overlooked thing, which is language is so, so powerful. Yes. And we should always, always be experimenting with our language. Like we should always be looking for other ways to say things to see. Which things really work and which things really connect and which things don't and and what puts people on the defensive versus makes them feel comfortable mm. and pay attention you know, to that and really pay attention to our language. It's so, so powerful and I think so, so rare that we take the time to look back and say, okay, other people have said it this way. How would I say it?
0: Yeah. And the, the, uh, people are probably sick of me talking about this, but like, I'm a copywriter, but, but like, so I'm always thinking in terms of copy, but like that, that just comes with the trade. And I even picked it up on the, your language pattern, the way that you phrase like, like based on this conversation, it seems like, seems like, sounds like, or I feel like that's softer language. That's not hard language. Like based on this conversation, you need help with that. That puts someone on the defense and their hands yep. go up. So like even that small little nuance that, you know, the seems like, sounds like, feels like, those are softer language patterns that are more lean in for, uh, opposed to like pushing something on someone so yeah there's so many layers of it of complications to that but it's it's really fun at least i think it's fun because i'm a nerd nerd thinking about the different ways on language how to phrase things yeah i love it <laughs> Yeah, cool. Well, uh, so I know we're kind of coming up on time here. So there there are a few other frameworks. I don't know if we have time to go through all of them, but there is one other one that I thought would be really valuable for people. So just to kind of set this up for people. So we've talked about asking, we've talked about the balance between asking and giving. And one of your other things that your Jedi Master Roderick is really good at is, is helping people to become more referable, right? And so like when you're having these interactions is like, how can you articulate your ideas in a way that makes it easy for people to understand and share with you so you have uh, a framework that you call the aim framework that i think is kind of on this on this note and would love for you to kind of share that so people can make their ideas more accessible for people
1: sure um and that's a great segue because the a is for accessible (laughs) yeah there you go (laughs) Um, so so you know the first the first hurdle that you always have is accessibility, right? It's it's can people outside of your industry, can the average person understand what it is that you're talking about, right? And one of the challenges that we have as entrepreneurs is that we live in this like world of innovation, right? So we're always coming up with the new ideas. We're always coming up with these like cutting edge things. Uh, and the fact of the matter is most people are not ready for an innovation as their like first taste of something. right? And there's this great story in uh, Power of Habit about this, where when the song Hey Ya by OutKast first came on the radio, people shut it off almost immediately. And the reason was it had a very different sound than most of the other pop songs. But the hit machine said it was supposed to be a hit, so everybody was sort of baffled. So what the radio stations did was they actually would play artists whose songs all kind of have a very similar sound uh, and if they have a similar sound you'll listen all the way through and they would put Hey Ya in the middle. So they would put Celine Dion first right because if you've heard one of her songs congratulations you've heard them all (laughs) Um, and then they would put Hey Ya and then they put something like a Maroon 5 or another pop artist that basically sort of had that like all the songs kind of had a very similar sound and over time the unfamiliar became familiar. So what we need to do very, very often, is we need to find our saline. And I would say nine times out of 10, the, the hurdle of accessibility is that you haven't found your saline,
0: mm-hmm. right?
1: You're trying to introduce the world to your hey ya, and you have not found your saline. So it's really, really important to take the time to say, okay, what is the the simplest way for people to kind of come into this world to understand mm. this concept that I'm doing. And then you can introduce them to innovations all you want. Like once they're in the door, they're happy to hear all of the crazy things that you're coming up with. But at the very beginning, they're not, right? At the very beginning, they're very tenuous. So you want to think about what is something that can give people a point of reference an anchor that yeah. will help them sort of get into that world, right. And get into that side of things. And there's lots and lots of stuff we could dig into with the accessibility, but I want to make sure that I, you know, yeah. cover each of the pieces. Uh, if, I could, if
0: I could toss a little, a really quick example in there. So like something that comes to my mind is the way that I've heard, if anybody listening to this has listened, followed Russell Brunson's stuff with the way he's grown ClickFunnels, uh, he's kind of bootstrapped this business. But like one of the things he, when he articulates his software, which is about funnel building, he always does it in comparison to a website, right? So like, again, that would be his Hey Ya is this funnel building software, but he introduces it by explaining what, um, you know, what a traditional website is and the difference between a website and on a funnel. So he gave someone a handle that, that may not understand this new innovation first for them to bridge that gap between like, Oh, it's kind of like this, but here's the, the variability in it. So that's maybe another example besides Hey on.
1: (laughs) Exactly. But I love that. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, and that's the thing, right? You want to give people some kind of anchor right something that they're 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 like okay yeah I totally understand that I totally get that and then you introduce the innovation right mm-hmm. then you introduce sort of the slant on things because they're just way more open to it so that come that brings us to the next one which is influence and most of the time when we think about the idea of influence we think about it in terms of persuasion Right. So we think about it in, in the sense of if I can convince you or persuade you to do something, then I have influence on you. But true influence is when you do something without me asking you to do it. So the question then is, why do you share something of mine? Why do you talk about something of mine without me asking you? Well, you do it because it makes you look good. Mm -hmm. You do it because it basically ties to your reputation and how you're perceived by your tribe and by your audience, right? So most of the time what happens is that we're packaging our ideas in this way to be like, let me look cool. When what we really want to do is we want to figure out how do I package my ideas to make other people look cool, Mm -hmm. Right. So that if they share it, if they share that concept, my message is going to be spread. And in much the same way that basically you just pointed a bunch of people to Russell. Right. Russ that concept basically has influence over you. Mm-hmm. Right. Because it causes you to want to share it because it helps you articulate, you, you know, this this conversation. It helps you, you know, paint that picture. But what does it do? It refers back to him. Mm-hmm. And I call this the magic trick. So if you've ever been to a party where there's a magician, most of the time, a magician will have at least one trick that they can show you exactly how they do it. And they'll teach you. This is how to make the salt shaker disappear. This is how to pull this thing out of this person's ear, whatever it is, right? Mm. And what's the next thing that most people will do? They will to go to party, exactly, and try to be the magician, right? So. Most of the time when we're thinking about something that we want people to share, we need to be thinking about how is this going to make the other person look? What is our magic trick? What is our thing that we give them that then they're going to give to their friends and say, wow, that was amazing. That was so interesting. Where did you learn that? Because the second that you've, you've gotten to that point, basically people are coming to you because they're like, I heard about this or I learned about this and I want to know more. Right? Right. Mm-hmm. I want to discover more about how this works and sort of what, you know, what this process is. And a perfect example of this going back to what you said about Russell, right? How many people are listening to this episode that will listen to that example and if they don't know him, will go and look him up and look up this website funnel example to see what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Right? And that's the thing. It's when we create something. So it's more likely that it's going to make other people look good. More people are going to share it. More people are going to talk about it. More people are going to do, you know, do more with it. And that's when we have true influence. That's what real influence is.
0: Yeah, and I think I think everybody, just to highlight this, I think Jedi Jedi Master Roderick is earning his stripes because it's like obviously this guy practiced with what he preaches. If you've looked at how he's packaged all these frameworks, (laughs) there's a reason, there's some inception going on here. So, like, there's a reason why there's an acronym for DINE. There's a reason why there's an acronym for GATE. There's a reason why there's an acronym for AIM. These are all packaging it. So hopefully we have have some magician inception stuff. So if you're listening to this right now, you can go look cool the next time you talk to someone and you can share one of Michael's frameworks work. So I absolutely love that. And it reminds me, I read the book forever ago, but it's Contagious by Jonah Berger. um, Uh And he talked about how, in the inside of Snapple caps, if I remember correctly, they put a fun fact on like when you open the Snapple, it had a fun fact. And like, they leverage that as a marketing activity because it's like, you know, you get in from the gas station and you, you, you have a conversation around this fun fact that's sitting inside, or I guess Laffy Taffy does that too, with like the jokes and all that kind of stuff, but like some other ways. And I think you use Simon Sinek as an example a lot too, um, of the fact that like, you know he got up and drew a circle and and explained this this leadership concept that's very simple and now everybody can go to a bar and draw a circle it looked really cool their friends so yep, it's brilliant exactly
1: <laughs> exactly exactly um, so the last the last piece of aim is memory and the thing is you could you could nail accessibility you could nail influence but you'll still lose if people can't remember it right? If people can remember something of yours over somebody else's, it doesn't matter where you are in, in the industry, you win, right? So, so the question then is, or how do we build in these memory triggers for people, right? Like how do we make it so that we're carving a piece of real estate inside of their minds, And ultimately, what it comes down to is if you want people to remember you more, you focus on less. And that's language, emotion, simplicity, and structure. So the first is language. If I come up with my own language for things, if I come up with my own words for things, that is going to actually become something that sticks in your head because you've never heard that word before. I'm the Mm -hmm. one who coined that phrase. I'm the one who came up with it. So if we actually go back right, and we look at Shakespeare, the reason why we all study Shakespeare and very, very few people ever study Christopher Marlowe, even though they were living at the same time, writing at the same time, is that Shakespeare added new words to the English language. If you go into the dictionary, there are words that are there because Shakespeare coined them Mm. and created them. So when people were going around Stratford uh, upon Avon and basically being like, you know, using these words, people were like, "Well, where did you learn that?" And what happened? And sent them back to Shakespearean plays, right? It built this massive, massive referable brand. If we, it, you know, if we if we look at it, we can look at this across. And you know, if we want to take Star Wars as another perfect example, right? We all know what the force is, right? And and Lucas was one of the first people in the sci-fi era to give these very very packageable names to things sith you know (laughs) like you know that that basically like stuck in our heads right and and if you look at any form of children's literature that really sort of just like knocked it out of the park whether it be harry potter um uh, what is it? Uh, Hunger games, any number of those things in every single instance, you'll find that there are specific words that are tied just to that genre. Yep. And basically and it, and that language. Yeah.
0: And just to add on top of this too, like this is persuasion at its finest too, because it creates an in versus an out group, right? Like an yep. us versus them. Like if you know the language you're in the in group, which makes it more shareable in and of itself. Um, so just wanted to add that because I think that's brilliant.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's exactly so. So the thing is, um, if you can take the time to create your own language for things, you will instantly be easier to remember. People will like instantly sort of think about you. You know, think about you more. So the E is for emotion, and because you work in copywriting, you know, you know this, right? When we are in a heightened emotional state, our brains become like sponges, Mm -hmm. right? We remember every detail during a heightened emotional state. So if I said to somebody, you know, tell me what your, you know, what your morning was like, if their morning was just an everyday morning, they usually can't tell me a lot of details. But if I said, remember the, the loss of a loved one and tell me the details of that room, tell me the details of that experience. Most people can give you a lot of details because in heightened emotional moments, we remember details. And this is one of the core reasons why in many instances, you'll see things like TED talks, presentations that open with some kind of emotional story by the, by the speaker, because when we're in that heightened state, we're way more open to things. And if we think about it from a copy standpoint, right, if I, if I have gotten you worked up emotionally by the time you get to, what are the details of the solution you're offering me? I'm reading that in a I'm reading that and I'm absorbing everything that you have to say because you engaged my emotions first mm-hmm. So the more that we take the time to look at how do I engage the emotions in this content in this material, then we are going to basically create more memory triggers for people because the other really big thing I, I refer to this as the double whammy if I, describe something or talk about something and you have had that same moment in your own life, what happens is not only are you reading or hearing this, this story that I'm telling you, but you're reliving your own experience of that story. And, you know, anytime you're watching a film where somebody gets their heart broken, let's just say, right. If you've had your heart broken you think back to that time, right? You shoot back to that moment and to that time. So you'll remember that scene far more and going back to Cameron, right? Ask anybody what the opening scenes are of Titanic. Nobody can tell you, but ask any of those same people, what image comes to mind when you say the words, I'll never let go and almost everybody can give you an image, Mm -hmm. right? So the next is simplicity. And all of our lives, academics have rewarded complexity. So when you were in school, you wrote the big papers, you used the big words, you were smart, you were capable. And when you get out into the real world, right? Everybody thinks I've got to be complicated. I've got to be, I've got to show people how smart I am with all these big words and all these different types of things. But the issue is that the memory rewards simplicity because our brands can only handle so much information, right? So the more complex, the less likely it is we're going to remember it. And the less likely it is we're going to share it because sharing is all about how we look in front of people. So if I can't explain a concept and it's going to make me look stupid because I can't remember the 17 points that the person shared with me, then I'm going to go for the three-point thing Mm -hmm. because I'm not going to remember the 17 points. It's going to make me look awkward, right? And that ties to the last piece, uh, which is structure. And our brains need structure to process information, right? We need to know that things come in a certain order. We need to be able to figure out a way to process information. So if we don't have a structure, we could have the best information in the world, but we're going to lose things. We're going to forget things, et cetera. So you want to figure out what is a structure that you can give people so that they can work their way through the information. In much the same way that you know we're talking about AIM, right? accessibility, influence, and memory creates a structure for you. And you know which comes first, which comes second, which comes third. So mm. it's easier to carry in your brain. Right. It's easier to understand and it's easier to translate to somebody else. Right. It's easier to tell somebody else. This is what you know, this is how this works, because, you know, what comes first, what comes second and what comes third.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, so, so good. Just let's applause. Right? <laughs> Brilliant. Yeah. And since I used, uh, Russell Brunson as an example before too, I guess he's just in my mind. If you read any of his books, expert secrets.com secrets or traffic secrets, all the frameworks that he teaches are in like little sketches with stick figures. And they're like really easy. And that, the, the, the idea behind that too, is again, making it very simple, um, for people. So there was that I wanted to say, uh, other thing I wanted to add on was when we were talking about language, naming and labeling your own content. So this is this goes back to the very beginning of this 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 conversation when Michael was talking about those first initial groups he was putting together to allow people to kind of uh, reenact these scenarios, right? He was looking for the patterns, and then he started naming and labeling all these different components and giving them structure to them as well. Uh, So that was really cool. And the other thing too, if you want to listen to the very, very beginning, this is something I'm trying to get uh, better at as an interviewer is like, I I'm looking to ask a question in the very beginning that emotion. emotions. There's a reason why I asked Michael to start with Halloween night on, on, on in 2010, uh, because I wanted to evoke curiosity and make people be like, okay, how did Michael get here? Let's unwind. So there's lots of different ways that you can use this um, to make things that are sticky inside of people's brains. So, you yeah, there's there's so much here. So as, as a high, high level recap, and this is another memory thing I learned, I worked with an accelerated learning and memory guy for years, and there's the importance of spaced repetition. So there's a reason why I'm, I'm repeating this, but we started with dime, right, how you can ask things that are in a way uh, that, that are some ways are more effective. So we have direct, indirect asks, mutually beneficial asks, and extraordinary asks. And then we talked about gate, right? So opening and closing the gate, the balance between asking and giving. So you need to give, you need to ask, you need to thank, and then experiment. Uh, And then we just talked about aim, which uh, is is helping you to become more referable. Taking aim, accessibility. Uh, influence and memory. And then inside of memory, if you kind of look like a, some sub bullets, we have less, which is a new one that I haven't heard yet. Right. Or wait, no, did I get that one wrong? Uh, yeah. Language, emotion, simplicity, and structure. So there we go. There's a, there's a full recap, some space repetition in there of the, the works of Mr. Jedi, Jedi Michael Roderick. So um, I, know, I know we're coming up, but we're like on time here. So I really, really appreciate your time. And I know you have some family dinner to attend. So I want to be very mindful of that. So so um, I, I don't normally ask. The, well, let me let me ask my final question for the show, sure. and then we can kind of start to find out where more people can find out more about you. So, as somebody that is so rich in relationships, as somebody that has is, is studied this for so long, I like to ask because it gives people a, a picture across all the different guests. But, like, what have you come to understand what happiness means? What does happiness mean for Michael Roderick?
1: Yeah, I've I've thought about this, and and I think it's it's being it's being with my family. It's being with, you know, I have, I have two, uh, I have two young girls. Um, uh, one's 18 months and one's four. Uh, and, you know, and I have, you know, I've talked to you about Nora, my wonderful wife. And, and, you know, when I think about sort of the most full, you know, I feel when I think about the the moments that are the most rich uh, it's when I'm spending time you know, it's when I'm spending time with them. So, so that's, that's what comes up when it, when I think about happiness.
0: Love that. Love that. And a man that is in true alignment because he also helps other people to create those moments with other peoples and being, being more present. So I really appreciate you and the work that you do, Michael, and the connections that you make for people. Um, so, um, where can people find out more about all the incredible stuff you have going on?
1: Sure. Uh, so my website is just smallpondenterprises.com. Um, and I also have, uh, a thing called, uh, the referability rater, which basically can help you basically see how referable you are um, and that's just at
0: my referability com. Yep. i'm just writing the notes there. my and then yeah the, some of the tools i've mentioned if you want to dive in deeper into what we talked about today dime is a part of a uh, 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 Worksheet that Michael put together that I was, I'm absolutely saving this on my desktop and saving it. It's very, very good about how you can open the doors to these conversations. So uh, you can find that on, on Michael's website. And I would highly recommend that you check that out. So um, all that to say, I just wanted to take a second. And if you, are brand new to the show. And this is the very first episode you've ever listened to. I am very grateful that you decided to drop in on on me and Michael today. As you can tell, I like to go really deep in these conversations. Um, And if you're returning, I just want to say welcome back. Thank you so much for showing up every single week. You're absolutely what makes this possible. And regardless if you're new or returning, I have a favor to ask you. And that is if you were listening to this and you found these frameworks super valuable and you were at the gym and you had to stop what you were doing and take notes a bajillion times, like when I was researching Michael, I, I got some terrible workouts as a result of you, Michael, because I had to stop every 15 <laughs> seconds to write down a new, new word that was a part of a framework. Uh, but but so if you found this super valuable, please do me a favor and share this with a friend. My life has absolutely been changed by times that my friends have sent me you know valuable resources and content. And I truly believe in Michael's work. So if you if you really want to help Michael out, please share this message with them and it's going to really help make someone's day. But besides that, I appreciate you for listening and thank you so much, Michael. This has been an absolute blast.
1: Yeah. Thanks so much for having me. This is a really ton of fun. Thank you.